Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives, from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu here with you today for another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. I am so excited to have this conversation today. It is controversial and it is fascinating. And, it, and, and for both of us, I think um, our hearts are just so open to this, like looking at this piece of mental health as a possibility rather than a pathology. So I have with me today, Brittany Quagan, and she is a licensed clinical therapist, the co-director of the Yale COPE Project. She's an associate clinical coordinator of the Prime Clinic and a psychic and medium as a person with lived experience with hearing and feeling things that others typically don't and experiencing her own struggles with mental illness, Brittany works to help others on their journey to healing and empowerment. Welcome, Brittany. Thank you. I can't even tell you how excited I am to be on a podcast where someone says it's controversial. <laughs> it's very exciting. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it is because look, I mean, I was trained, you know, in the sort of classic traditional way as you were too in school, where we learned that things like psychosis, which we probably should define for the audience, you know, the classic definition of psychosis is like experiencing things that aren't real. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Yep. And, and, and that's been the paradigm. It's been considered a problem. It's been considered like there's something wrong with you and the best typically that the traditional mental health treatment field has been able to offer is medication. Take these meds and let's hope that those things go away. Mm -hmm. And you and I both know, typically it doesn't go away. And that in fact, that experience of being traumatized and invalidated by the healthcare system can sometimes do more damage than it does any kind of good. And you are lived experience of that. So I would love for our audience to hear a little bit more about you, your story and how it is that you came to do this work. Sure, absolutely. So um, I think like many people who we talk to, I I think including yourself who are in the mental health field, we have had our own experiences with mental health. Um, And for me, that is also true. I struggled with anxiety, depression, suicidality, um, some substance abuse, kind of the whole, the whole gambit in there. Um, since I was really young, the depression, I want to say kicked in, I had to have been 12, 12 years old or something around that age. I figured that out reading my diaries (laughs) from back then. I was like, this wasn't right. Um, but, um, Then I started hearing voices when I was about 15 or 16 years old. And whenever I tell my story, I I like to caveat that when I say I hear voices, I hear voices and I still hear voices, but my voices have never, ever, ever been a problem for me. 
um, which is something that a lot of people, especially in mental health, are kind of surprised. Well, what do you mean you hear voices and everything is fine? My voices are awesome. My voices actually saved my life when I was a teenager. The first time I heard them, um, they were telling me not to kill myself. So I would say that it is a good thing that I have had voices. Um, and, you know, after hearing voices and it really never phased me, I kind of assumed everybody had that going on. <laughs> um, my biggest struggles were with more, I guess you would call them like tactile hallucinations or the things that I would feel that weren't really there or that would just freak me out. Um, and I was really paranoid about my health and about my safety in general uh, for quite a while from being uh, a teenager into my early 20s. And I was fortunate enough to have a run-in with this woman who is still a dear friend of mine who is a psychic medium as well. Uh, and she pretty much took me under her wing and showed me this world of spirituality and sort of asked me like, well, how do you know that it's not energy that you're connecting to or, or something different, something spiritual? And no one had ever asked me that. No one had ever brought that world to my attention before. And I was coming from a world where it was therapy, it was medication, it was, this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong. And I entered into this world of, this is what's awesome, and this is what's right, and this is what's possible. And, um, and how we are just really resilient human beings when given the chance to actually explore our experiences without labeling them. And I was given that opportunity to do that. And it totally changed my life. I was able to get off meds. I was able to stop going to therapy, um, for the things that were really bothersome for me, the things that were bothersome weren't anymore. I had new ways of handling them and ways to stay grounded and meditate and just approach things without judging the shit out of them and, and thinking that everything was just bad and scary and negative and going to be horrible. And, um, and it really just made me that much more passionate to want to help people who might be experiencing the same things as me. Um, and, and that passion is, is pretty much what got me here. I started working, uh, in the spiritual worlds, doing readings. I had my own business where we would teach like Reiki and meditation and we were doing readings and teaching people how to develop their intuitive skills and things like that. And from, and I had a lot of people who would hear voices and who would see things. And for me, it was just like, oh, Leah, that's your spirit guides or like, you know, why are you attracting that? Like, let's figure out how to manifest something better. And just a lot of looking at it differently and, and it helped so many people. And then I realized, well, I, I might get sued because I'm kind of doing therapy. So I should probably go to school and become a therapist. <laughs> so I did that and that brought me to Yale and, and doing the, the cope project and all this really sweet stuff that we've got going on that, that really explores approaching treatment from that non-judgmental place and, and not necessarily labeling it, but also this idea that people can have these experiences and have control over their life 
still. Yeah. Well, and it's so fascinating, right? Because if you look throughout history and you look at other cultures and it's like, like one of my favorite articles, you know, is that the one about the shaman and what a shaman sees in a mental hospital. It's like, oh, yeah. Right. And, and Western medicine, psychiatry is so young. It's what, a hundred, 200 years old, but you have thousands of years of these cultural traditions where people have, have always talked to the spirits and gone into trance states or, or eaten the sacred, you know, medicine to have access to other worlds and dimensions. And we have the day of the dead and we celebrate, um, the passing of, of, of people from one world to the other, like, what has happened with the Western paradigm that we disregard what like thousands of years of other cultures have, have honored as a normal thing, as a celebrated thing. Right. It's so, um, it's fear is what I think. <laughs> like there's so much fear around that. And it's so interesting too, because like, if you talk to people who wouldn't consider themselves spiritual, but more religious, they'll be like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I talk to Jesus every day, or, you know, I talk to my loved ones every day, but the second you call it something different, it's like, oh no, that's, you have mental health issue. It's like, how is that right. any different <laughs> than what you're explaining? But yeah, it, that is something that just baffles me. And a perfect example, we went to Lilydale uh, in New York. I don't know if you're familiar with Lilydale at all. Mm -mm. It's, it's dope. It's this spiritual, it's the, one of the first spiritualist communities in America. Um, and it's, it's, they have their own little town called Lilydale and third, fourth, fifth generation mediums lived there or still live there. And we, our lab, uh, so Dr. Powers, Al Powers, who, who's the other co-director of the Yale co-project with me, he and I, um, and a couple of our lab mates, we went to Lilydale for a week and we had to sit and interview all of these mediums and they hear voices and see things and feel things constantly throughout the day. And most of them aren't in any sort of mental health care. They don't, you know, need medication or anything like that. And it's because they grew up with that. If you grow up in this world that says, oh yeah, you want to talk to your dead uncle Joe? Sure. That's probably who's visiting right now. Oh, that's normal. Then there's nothing to be scared of when that happens. Right. And it's that fear that I really feel like causes so many people to spiral. And I get that, including me. I was telling you earlier today, when I started at Yale, I was so grounded I was, you know, I'd have my experiences. Oh, here's that energy. That's for this person. That's for that person. Oh, cool. You know, just moving through my day, nothing bothering me. And I started there and I will say the people that I work with are amazing. They do not pathologize me. They do not think that I am weird. They do not think that there's anything wrong with me. They're always like, oh, they're just encouraging and empowering. Never say anything that is not supportive whatsoever. So it's not them that made me feel this way. Um, but working there and you're working with patients and you're doing these assessments and they're having these experiences and then we're diagnosing them. It really made me question my sanity. It made me wonder, 
you know, oh my God, is this the road that I'm going down? Is this going to happen to me because I'm having these experiences and blah, blah, blah. And I really formed this really negative view about it for a while that caused me a lot of anxiety and sent me kind of spiraling backwards where when I was just in this world of spirituality and things were not considered problematic and more just this really cool experience that humans can have, I was chilling. So it really is just this, this fear and the the negative stigma attached to it that I feel like can make people feel way worse about the experiences that they're actually having versus it being a normal, just a normal thing. Well, and I think that really brings us to how important it is that for the people in the lives of these folks who are having these experiences, whether it's family, friends, loved ones, or even therapists, like how important it is um, for us to not put any fear or whatever we have and project it onto the person, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think that is a lot of what, um, a lot of what I hear at least from working with clients when we're able to broach that conversation and they, they get that I'm not here to judge them. And in fact, I have my own experiences with this stuff that I can share. Then suddenly they feel like, oh my God, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. I'm not crazy. I mean, that's usually the thing people are afraid of, right? I'm, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to end up like institutionalized and locked away forever. And to know that like, maybe that's not something to be feared. And this isn't as weird as you think it is. And this is why I'm even doing this like podcast is to educate our fellow professionals because how we treat our clients can really do damage. It can traumatize people, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have so I have one client, for example, who hears voices constantly. And when they first came to the clinic, they were just terrified. I have schizophrenia. Oh my God, my whole life is over. I was going to go and do all these great things. Now I don't get to do those great things. And I finally looked at them and I was just like, who cares that you hear voices? And they were just like, what? And everything changed because they were waiting to get slapped at this diagnosis or told that something was wrong. And honestly, after talking to the kid and hearing about his experiences, he's lonely like no friends. So he's got a bunch of voices in his head that he's talking to all the time. They don't cause any harm. They encourage him to get up and do laundry and go to school and stuff like that. It's like, who cares if somebody is hearing voices or seeing weird things, if it's not causing a problem, if it's not distressing to them, if it's not going to cause them harm or someone else harm or screw up their life in a way that can't, can't be fixed. (laughs) Just who freaking cares. And, and I think that that's a really almost not hard concept, but people are really challenged by that idea. And, and even when we present on these things, you could see some like old school people being like, no. And I've met a psychiatrist, like one time we had a lab meeting in this older, older school psychiatrist came and we were talking about voice hearers and people being able to develop control of this. And when I talk about control, what I mean is like mediums, for example, really have this ability to tell spirits to like kiss off for a while until it's time for them to talk 
to the person that they're having a session with. Um, and then the spirit shuts up. That's control. Like if you can keep them away, like you're, you're controlling your experience. And we were talking about this and we were talking about, you know, how there's a lot of voice hearers out there who can function. He had no idea who I was, by the way. And, and he's like, no, that's just, that's just not possible. And I'm just like, (laughs) I'm, I'm a voice hearer and I'm telling you it is possible. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you, I don't, I I don't condone violence, but it's like, you want to get up and fight these people. It's like, how are you going to sit here and tell me that it's not possible to function? And like, I'm not on meds. I'm not like, I have a great job. I got a family, like, yeah, it's called functioning. If I understand the term correctly, you know, and people, yeah, they're really challenged. And I just, is it the training? Is it fear? What, what is this like issue with wanting to really explore other possibilities with how we, how we approach these things? I think it's all of those and and more, and it doesn't help, you know, like, so, you know, I practice a a modality called talk to the entities, which is a subspecialty of a bigger um, technique or approach. You want to call it, I guess, call access consciousness. And um, when I have classes or do sessions with people, the fear piece always comes up. And for a lot of folks, it's what also what you saw in Hollywood, you know, like I'm of mm. the generation of the exorcist. Oh yeah. Poltergeist <laughs> and um, all of those like horror movies. And, yes. and even in religion, I think if you grew up in some religious traditions where they do the exorcisms and all of that, or like the, the speaking in tongues, you know, like when people yeah. are doing that kind of stuff, I think it's scary. I think little kids yeah. look at that and they're like, oh my God, that's really what bad. Is- a lot of clearings around that around the concept that gets attached to you know spirits ghosts whatever they're bad they're out to get you they're more powerful than you they can hurt you and i think you really highlighted in your comment about the mediums it's really about being willing to be the dominant entity like hey i'm the boss this is my body and I'll talk to you, but on my terms, you know, Mm -hmm. like when I say it's okay, like you don't get to wake me up in the middle of the night, like, you know, trying to get my attention, like I'll talk to you, but let's negotiate this or, or it's going to be on my terms, right? That's what I've heard from a lot of channelers as well. Like they have to put kind of rules or parameters around like how they're going to do this work because otherwise, you know, people can get bombarded. And and I wanted Mm -hmm. to explore that with you. So what happens for folks what do you um, see happens for folks when it's not in their control and they're not able to manage it or the fear that is so great? Like, then what do you see with those folks? Yeah. Um, so with those folks, I feel like the first thing that's important is, is the education piece on, you know, what, what's going on and that, control is a possibility because some people are scared that this is just going to be it forever. And to learn that, you know, you, you can take the power back is huge. And then to meet other people who have done that is extra huge. Like any human on the planet can attest to the fact that when you meet another human who has gone through something that you have, it is that 
in and of itself is relieving, but never mind the fact that they've gone through it, but they've overcome it or they've mastered it is like, holy shit, this is possible. Mm-hmm. And so to normalize it, huge community connection, huge. Then you got to get them grounded, help them to get grounded in the experience and then be able to explore it, not from a place of fear. Because I think, you know, as with anything negative, whether it's feeling sad, whether it's feeling anxious, whether it's feeling angry, heartbroken, the first thing we want to do as humans, because it doesn't feel good or doesn't seem right, is we want to push it away. We want it gone. I got to run away from this. I got to, I can't even go there or touch it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, to be able to sit with someone and say like, okay, nothing's going to hurt you. What if we just ask some questions? Like, when do these voices start talking to you? What do they want to say? Like, what do you, what do you think they want to talk to you about that for? Like, especially if, if we're talking about like spiritual stuff and, and they feel like it's spirits, you know, what does the spirit want? Maybe they just have a message, but even if it's not a spiritual thing, what could these voices be telling you? What is yeah. it that, you know, you could learn from the experience? Um, exploration is key. I mean, that's the only way you're going to, you're going to learn anything about it and be able to, to come out of it is to really st- dig into them trenches and see what's in the mud. Well, and I think a piece of it that comes up so often for folks, um, you know, especially some of the more, let's say where people can't function as well with this Mm -hmm. is when there's been trauma. Can you say a little bit more about folks you've worked with who've had trauma and how that converges with the psychotic, you Mm -hmm. know, type experience? Yeah. Um, if I'm being totally honest, I explore it almost the same way. I mean, maybe a little more gently because I tread lightly around the trauma. I don't want to force people to relive any trauma over and over again, but, you know, just simply exploring how the traumatic experience could, could be playing a role in, in the content of the voices or when the voices come up, or, I mean, I think the content is so telling, whether it's, you know, shameful thoughts that you have after a traumatic experience, or just as an example, like I I might have somebody who has shameful thoughts about themselves being dirty or, or something. And then, you know, then they have like dirty coming up in their head all the time. And then that just forms into bigger and longer narratives. And, um, and it's, it's kind of just being able to challenge some of those things too. Mm-hmm. My whole thing is like, I kind of see voices the same way I do people. Yeah. Like my mom says shit to me and I'm like, shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she'll say some stuff and I'm like, I literally have no idea what you're talking about or, you know, what you're saying to me, I don't agree with. And I think there's just so many different types of voices that I guess, you know, there's different ways to approach it with different people, but, you know, for something like just these intrusive thoughts and intrusive voices saying things like, you're no good, you're dirty, you're this, you're that. It's being able to, to challenge it too, just the same way you would a person. Like if somebody's coming up to you all the time and they're like, you're dirty, you're this, you're that. I'd be like, (laughs) I'd be like, what are you talking about, man? No, I'm not. And it's, I think it's giving people the power stick back 
to be able to say, yes, you can challenge that. And you don't have to take that honest truth, just like you don't have to take a negative thought when you're depressed as truth or an anxious thought as truth. Um, it's all kind of the same, the same thing to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, they've given their power away, right? Mm -hmm. In a yeah. sense, like, it, and especially traumatized people, if they've had like abuse or that kind of thing, you know, they, <clears throat> they gave their power away, you know, to that person in the moment when they were, and then they learn. And especially if it was like a chronic kind of thing, they just learned like, I have no power here. I have no choice. I have to take it. And I, and I see that as we empower people, like you said, to take their power back, then they can start to stand up to the bullies, right? right. And sometimes these energies, these spirits, these voices, whatever, they're like bullies, right? Mm -hmm. And they're, they need to be told off and flipped right. off, right? <laughs> and confronted and like, hey, I'm not that person. I'm not what you think I am. I mean, always, I think it comes back to how we see ourselves and, mm -hmm. and the beliefs we have about ourselves and where are those coming from? And can we change those regardless of whatever somebody's diagnosis is or what they're right. dealing with? Right. It's like, you could walk around and say, I'm sick. I have these things or you can walk around and you can be like, yeah, I experienced that. And I'm still kick ass. <laughs> I'm still, you know, capable. I still have potential. I still can grow. I still can do all these things. It's like, when you start slapping labels on people, especially labels that come with a stigma, it's like, of course, you're going to think that your life is over because you, you see these pieces on people with schizophrenia and it's like, they always show people is just, just like batshit crazy. You know what I mean? And like have absolutely no control. And there's a lot of people who thrive, who have psychosis diagnosis. Uh, bleh, that was a combo of words, a psychotic <laughs> diagnosis. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I feel like you're, you're right. It really comes back to letting people feel empowered in their experience, regardless of what the experience is. And I think it's just sad in general, our world is at least here in the U S I don't know about other places, but I mean, humans really point out negative things and just harp on things that are wrong with people and they bully people. And it doesn't give you a lot of room to feel empowered. And you know, if we as clinicians are seeing these people, I think it's our responsibility to do everything we can to empower them, especially if they're not getting it in their regular life. Yeah. And you highlighted such an important piece of that, which is the community aspect, right? Can you say more about that and about the recovery movement and the different organizations and support groups that have cropped up that I didn't know about until I started doing some research, you know, I don't think the average clinician or, or person for that matter, who's diagnosed with these things or their family members has any idea that these uh, groups and movements are out there. Oh yeah. There's one um, huge recovery movement that we work with, with the COPE project called the Hearing Voices Network or the Hearing Voices Movement. They're all over the world. Um, and it's peer led, like these are all people who have lived experience and they, they are just building community all over the place, which is so cool. And they train people to be uh, facilitators in their groups. They have just, they have groups everywhere. And it's just, you have this safe, non-judgmental space to go to, 
talk about your experiences, to learn, you know, how to, to move through these experiences. I always like to call it like learning to work with your experiences rather than against. And so, you know, like my experience was always like, like I said before, like, stop it, stop it, stop it. So like, you're not working with the experience there by just putting up these stop signs all the time. You want to learn how to kind of wiggle around with it wherever you can. Um, and they do a lot of that work. Interestingly enough, a lot of the uh, techniques that they use are the same techniques that psychic mediums used. So, um, and we talk about that in, in some papers that we wrote, but it's, it's, to me, it just speaks volumes about the techniques that we could be using with people um, and normalization being one of the biggest and you get that through community. You get that through meeting other people who have these experiences and not for anything. These experiences are a lot more freaking common than people realize. Oh yeah. Millions and millions of people hear voices yeah. and they just don't talk about it because it's not problematic for them or they're like terrified to talk about it. I know I was when my doctor used to say to me like, well, so are you hearing anything? I'm like, no, ma'am. No, I'm not. <laughs> Cause I knew it would be like, okay, so she's paranoid and she is hearing stuff. We're gonna write this script up for. Well, I think the other piece too, that kind of dovetails with this um, is the whole like empath, highly sensitive person conversation, you know, mm -hmm. like, so I work with addiction um, and I, I work at a rehab and I teach the clients about that because I think a lot of what they're doing with drugs and alcohol is they're trying to numb that sensitivity, that awareness, which, you know, when I can go there, when I can see there's an opening, I will say includes things that other people may not be able to normally see or hear, you're also probably aware of and picking up on. And if you don't have tools to manage it, you think it's you, it's, you're going crazy, you're getting overwhelmed, right? And I think there's so much more even with that, where that overlaps here. Totally. That was 100% my experience. And drugs and alcohol were my bestie, because it numbed me out so much to just not feel all of the things that I was feeling. Like my body always felt like it was just like being tased just all the time. And then you're feeling this, you're feeling that. And then my face would go numb and then you get the heart palpitations. Then you're like, am I dying? What's going on? And then you get these weird thoughts about things that aren't actually going on in your life. And it's, it was a roller coaster. And I think that I, I love that being an empath is something that's getting more widely talked about, especially like in mental health, that people are just more commonly being like, oh yeah, my, my client's a, an empath. I'm like, oh my God, this term is just growing. It's so great. Yeah. <laughs> it's becoming more normal. Yeah. Um, and to think people like, you know, Judith Orloff, who's a psychiatrist, you know, who writes and talks and trains, you know, on this topic and again, normalizes it and talks about how her empathic gifts are, are, are that a gift. Mm -hmm. And just like hearing voices and sensing things, it can be a gift if you learn how to manage it. And I think what people have not known is that there are tools. There's lots of tools of all different kinds that people can use to do everything from grounding themselves to setting boundaries to self-care, I mean, all these things to actually then using, like 
I work with my guides, you know, to help me like create my life, like create a business and bring clients in and bring money in and, you know, mm -hmm. like do healing and, and all kinds of cool stuff, you know, and they contribute to me and my body. And like, there's amazing possibilities that are available if people are willing to like seek out. Cause I don't think this is stuff most people can navigate on their own very easily. Mm -hmm. I certainly couldn't, you know, with my stuff, I needed guidance. I needed mentoring, training, you know, um, even if it's like working with a shaman or like you did with like psychic medium, but we all need some sort of guidance because it's, it's strange exploring other realms, dimensions, realities that this reality that we're all born into doesn't know how to explain. Right. 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 Yeah. I think whether you're talking about weird experiences or life in general, we all need a, a guru. <laughs> we all need a person, you know, because yeah. there's just a lot of things we don't have experience in or have any expertise in. So to have people who get it and can give you some guidance is, is huge. One thing that I hear, have heard uh, quite a bit that I think is relevant to bring up is um, I've worked with, with a lot of people who have voice hearing experiences and the idea of looking at it as a gift is very angering for them because mm -hmm. their experience has only ever been negative. And they're like, how can you look at me and tell me that this is a gift? And I'm like, dude, I get that. So like now I'm just like, okay, so what if it's not so much a gift, but your brain being maybe not really nice about it, but giving you the ability to explore deeper into yourself and things that you need to heal. So it's like the healing is going to be the gift yeah. if we explore this versus like the act of hearing the voice itself yeah. might not be the gift. Cause that, cause I used to say that all the time. I'd be like, but it's a gift. And they would be like, are you kidding me, bitch? <laughs> like you're telling me that this monster in my head is, is a gift. And I would be like, yeah, that's true. But that's a really good point, right? Because we have to meet people where they're at and maybe mm -hmm. someday they can get to the place where they can see it that way and maybe they yes. won't. But that, right, we don't want to impose our perspective, either positive or negative, mm -hmm. right? Apologizing or overly positivity, you know, <laughs> pushing the, an overly positive look, like how important it is to meet the client where they're at Right. And, and gently, you know, walk with them down this road of exploration and let's see where it goes. Right. Yeah. And I think that's important to do even like, why even try to get them to say like, oh, I have schizophrenia or, oh, I have this, or, oh, I have hallucinations. Just like work within their framework, I think is, is huge. Like if they're calling it spirit guides, if they're calling it aliens, if they're calling it, you know, my altars, which is a new one that I've been hearing quite a bit lately, fairies, whatever work within the framework. Like, why do you have to call it your thing? Just cause like your clinical training said that it's an auditory hallucination. Right. It's just, it can harm. Why not just go with where they're at? Like, yeah. okay, so what are your fairies telling you? Like exactly. we call, I have one client where we're like, all right, where's your squad? <laughs> Cause they're like, <laughs> they just have this squad of people in their head. Yeah. Um, I think that that's extremely important. Yes. So tell us more about this co-project. What, what exactly are you all studying? What have you discovered so far? 
Yeah. Uh, so I talked a bit about control earlier um, and this idea that people who have voice hearing experiences can have control over them. And that means, you know, telling them to come back at another time, telling them to go away, um, telling them to quiet down so that way they can function, whatever, just being able to have some influence in some way over the actual experience itself. Um, and that is something that we are exploring extensively in the COPE project, which COPE stands for Control Over Perceptual Experiences. And um, within the project, we it started out as helping us to validate the first ever um, scale to measure a person's ability to control their perceptual experiences. So there's no scale out there that exists except for like one or two questions on a clinician rated assessment called the CIRATS. And it's, um, it's like, does the person in front of you have control over their experiences? It's like, okay, that's really going to help us. Um, so we developed the first ever scale actually working with mediums um, at Lily Dale, working with the Hearing Voices Network, working with people who actually have experiences. And they helped us with the questions. They helped us with um, the language to make sure that it was really as inclusive as possible. Because um, even just saying something like the voices versus my voices can actually be really impactful for people. Um, and so participants in the project helped us and continue to help us because it's still ongoing to validate that scale, which is huge because being able to validate that scale in and of itself is helping us to prove the point that people can actually control their experiences. Um, and our hope is that you know, once that gets published, that it becomes a widely used tool for clinicians to be able to measure someone's ability to control their experience over time. So you might have somebody who's really ungrounded and really overwhelmed by the experiences that they're having at the beginning. And then over time, you can actually track that progress, which is helpful for clinicians and for um, the clients themselves. So that's a huge part of, of COPE. We ask a million other questions about their experiences from trauma to uh, sleep habits to anxiety and depression questions um, about the experiences themselves, what they sound like, what they feel like, what they um, say to you, content. People have the opportunity to share their actual story. Um, and they, they participate in these tasks that Al developed um, that actually help us to, to see the way someone is perceiving their, their own world um, and how well that correlates with, with the scale um, in someone's ability to develop control because we do follow-ups um, at six months and 12 months and we can see you know if, if people have changed over time and how that uh, correlates with their answers on the scale um, and their other answers. Um, and the, the hope, we, we have a lot of hopes for this. One is to be able to, um, so Al's the computational neuroscience. And as often as I presented with him and talked to him about this stuff, I still have 
just such an inability to explain <laughs> the neuroscience part of it. He's so much better at that than me. Um, but ultimately for us to be able to, to see, um, you know, how well somebody is able to, to develop control, but, um, if there's certain markers that can help us to identify if someone's more likely to, to have psychosis, um, or develop it down the road. Um, and then also just for treatment purposes, to be able to use all of the information that we get, the stories that people tell, the things that work, the things that don't, because we ask about, you know, the techniques that they use and things like that, if they do have control, um, to help us create, you know, better, better protocols for clinicians and doctors to use in the treatment of people who have voice hearing experiences and other perceptual experiences that aren't just going to be pharmacologically based or that, you know, meds aren't going to be the front line if, if not needed. Obviously there's a huge difference between someone who's like completely not functioning and might need it to learn the techniques, right. um, versus, somebody who just has these experiences, they're really stressed out about it, but they have the ability to learn them. Why not go that route? And let's use these ones that we're going to work to, to validate over time. I think that's really key for us to stress that we're not saying that meds don't have their place, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we're not part of like, there's some groups of people that are like anti-meds, they're all bad. No, right. Psych meds always have a place in this industry when people like, for example, at the rehab, when they come in wrecked, when their system is totally out of whack, when their sleep is all wonky, when their neurotransmitters are all, you know, imbalanced because they've been, you know, abusing them, them for so long, mm -hmm. you know, like they have their time and place, but they're not an answer. And I think that unfortunately the traditional psychiatric paradigm, the answer for mm -hmm. psychosis, which is a pathology is meds, <laughs> antipsychotics. Mm -hmm. um, no, they have a place and a function, but they're not the answer. And okay. I'm just so grateful that you guys are doing this work for our field. Um, and so one of the questions I wanted to ask as we start to wind it down is what resources would you suggest for the mental health professional or the counselors who would like to learn more, open up more to this other way of seeing things and, and maybe, you know, unlearn the classic DSM paradigm that we've all <laughs> had to study. Where would you suggest they go? That's a really good question. Um, and one that I've actually never thought about, but on the fly, my first suggestion is that people actually explore these worlds for themselves open-mindedly. Like you have literally nothing to lose by going to a class on spirituality. You have nothing to lose by reading a book on it. You have nothing to lose by going to a recovery movement uh, meeting and seeing how somewhere like the Hearing Voices approaches care with their clients. Um, we encourage our clinicians to get trained by, um, by the hearing voices movement and to learn how to be a group facilitator because you learn how to work with people who have these experiences and to do it in an empowering way, um, and a non-judgmental way. And again, what do you have to lose other than exploring how to work in other frameworks? I think, you know, um, this is, this is something that we all have to kind of, it, it, to me, it's as simple as 
when we have to go take cultural competency classes. You know what I mean? Like you're learning about other cultures you know nothing about. There's no harm in that. All you're doing is helping your clients. And I think this is, it fits in the same mold as that. You're learning other frameworks that people might have that are going to be more helpful than harmful. Um, and I think that that's, that's imperative for us to do in general because, you know, people come to us for help and that's, we need to be able to help however we can. And sometimes it's not going to be in the way that you would think is the norm. Um, not everybody needs the same thing as we do. Yeah. And not everybody needs the same thing as, you know, Joe over here. People might need something over here a little bit. And I think being able to take the time to recognize that we all need to explore that um, and then doing it is, is crucial. We're not saying that you have to believe in psychic mediums. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't believe that aliens are infiltrating my mind, but some of my clients do. So how can I learn to explore that a little bit, you know? Yeah. And so. be more inclusive rather than exclusive. Yeah. There's, um, there's a, there's a professional organization too. I believe you've spoken at it's, um, ISPS, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. We got connected to them through, through the hearing voices network. Yeah. Um, it's, um, international society for psych psychosis studies, maybe, or something like that. We're going to include it. I'll look oh. it up. We'll include it in the show Thank notes. You. Make sure that we have that in there too, because yeah, there's like, there's some cool videos of talks. There are other um, professionals out there, mental health professionals that are doing this work um, that have developed approaches and techniques. Mm-hmm. So there is actually, I was really surprised to discover how much has already been created. Yeah. So we'll definitely include that. We also, you're still recruiting, right? For the COPE research study. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And it's all online. So you can do it from wherever you live. Um, and you could do it even if you don't have control over your, your voices, if you have the experience, um, we want to hear about it. Or if you know, you are a psychic medium, or if you just have visual experiences or the idea of aliens is really bothersome to you. And you know, you're, you're feeling like you, you experience them in some way. Yeah. Come come participate. It's, um, it's rather lengthy. It can take, you know, four hours or, or sometimes a little more, um, if you're just sitting there straight through, but we give you a month to do it. And then we, we pay you for your time. So you're not doing it for nothing. And then also on the other side of it, you're helping us with treatment development. So (laughs) I actually participated in it myself. um, And I really support, um, yes, let's all of us who have these experiences, you know, be willing to contribute to our field moving forward in a more uh, inclusive way. So I'm, I'm all for it. And we'll put all those links in the show notes. Um, And if people want to find you, if they want to talk with you or, or, or even work with you, how can they do that? Absolutely. Just send me an email. I'm very accessible. Um, it's Brittany.quagan at yale.edu. Uh, and if there's a place for us to, to put that for people to click on, because my last name's probably not the easiest to spell. It'll all be written out. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Email me anytime. I am always available. Well, not at midnight, but you know, I'm, I'm accessible. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you so much, Brittany, for being a guest today. I've really loved this conversation and it's so, it warms my heart to know that there are other people like myself who know that there's more going on than what we've been taught and who are willing to challenge that paradigm and be controversial. And, um, and, and I think it is a gift to our clients for us to be able to, to approach them with non-judgment and curiosity and a willingness to explore this with them, even if it's difficult, even if it's scary and weird. Um, any final thoughts you wanna leave our audience with? Oh my goodness. I have a lot of thoughts. I mean, I'm first of all, super thankful that you had me on here. It's great. I think this is just something that we should all continue to talk about. I mean, my, my biggest takeaway is, you know, how is it going to negatively harm a cl our clinicians to explore something a little different than what they're used to? Um, I just always want to encourage people to, to push the the norm because all this shit's made up anyway. So <laughs> let's push the norm and do what we can <laughs> to help people. Cause that's our job. And yeah, just because it's weird doesn't mean it's not normal. Thank you so much. And thank, thank you. you all for tuning in today to this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities. If you like this podcast, please do click like, share, comment, so that we can get it out there in the world and really show more people what else is possible with mental health. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.